0: Mitch Trubisky makes the Pro Bowl after a crazy weekend of NFL football plus we dive into who Chuck Pagano is and what he means to this Bears defense it's all coming at you this week on bear with me Hello, everybody, and welcome to Bear With Me, a show on Windy City Gridiron's podcasting network all about the Bears. I'm your host, Robert Schmitz, and I'm excited to get you this first regular episode of off-season content. Now, of course, it's going to be a little weird because we don't have a Bears game to review and we don't have a Bears game to preview. But, you know, technically now, we do. With six Chicago Bears in the NFL Pro Bowl, I'll talk a little bit about what I'm expecting and what I'll be watching for in this week's Pro Bowl, as well as, just like you voted for in last week's poll, I'll dive into who Chuck Pagano is and what he means to this Bears defense. Now, given that you voted for it, I'm going to start with Pagano. Then I'll go to Trubisky, and then we'll cover the rest of the NFL in an absolutely nuts weekend of sports. I've already made you wait long enough, so let's go ahead and get right on into it. We'll start. Just like we planned with Chuck Pagano. Now, my colleague Lester Wiltfong on T Formation Conversation, one of the other podcasts on this brand, did a great job giving a slight preview into who Chuck Pagano is, but I want to go a little bit more in depth. So, as I'm sure you all know by now, uh, Chuck Pagano was the defensive coordinator for the 2011 Ravens, who were third overall in points and just a phenomenal defense in general. Ryan Pace, the Bears GM, has described Pagano as aggressive, with a collaborative nature, strong evaluation skills, and sharp people skills. Now, given that this guy was a defensive coordinator for one year, and that's a lot of GM speak, and I'm sure you all know he was the coach of the Indianapolis Colts for six years, there's a lot of unknown about Pagano. If he's only done the defensive coordinator thing for one year, what's he going to do? Is he good at it? What can we try to see coming? There's a lot there, and the way that I plan on doing this is that I will lay out some positives and some negatives, as well as a little surprise that I've investigatively cooked up. I don't know if you'll see it coming, but hey, we'll see. Let's start first with the positives. So Chuck Pagano was the Indianapolis Colts head coach for six years. Now, the average NFL coaching tenure is 4.3 seasons, and Pagano was with the Colts for six. So by definition, he is an above average coach in terms of his first head coaching tenure. So I think that's a positive. His regular season record was fifty-three and forty-three. His postseason record was three and three equating to a career record of 56 and 46 or 0.549 so he won more games than he lost plus he's got a long history of coaching defensive backs especially as he was the five-year coach at the University of Miami and produced five first round picks in that time frame uh, being named the best secondary in college football in the year 2000. These are good things. Coaching secondary generally means that you've got a good idea not only of how to help your guys get in position to succeed, but also how to apply pass rush to help your secondary out. And speaking of pass rush, it's become unknown that Chuck Pagano is a little zany with his blitz packages. He's not called aggressive by Pace for no reason. In fact, Dominique Foxworth, one of Chuck's DBs, was quoted as saying, "'Chuck is a madman. "'It's going to be really interesting "'some of the things that you're going to see happening. "'It's going to require a great deal of dedication mentally "'from our guys to keep up with the complex things. "'We have a lot of situations where guys are doing jobs "'where they wouldn't normally be doing them. "'It helps disguise a defense and helps get us more sacks, "'which seems to be a big focus of what Chuck wants to do. "'Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good to me. "'After all, sacks are good things.' Anything to help take down that pesky Aaron Rodgers and Kirk Cousins and Matt Stafford, am I right? When Chuck Pagano was introduced as defensive coordinator of the Ravens, he personally described his own philosophy like this. My philosophy is, let's go out and wreak havoc. That sounds like a pretty good Bears defensive coordinator, at least verbally, doesn't it? Well, the issue is, moving on to one of the bad things, that's not 100% True, at least not according to the numbers. In 2017, Pagano's Colts were 22nd in the NFL in Blitz percentage. That's 21%. And they sent a DB to Blitz, which he's known to do, roughly 7.6% of the time, which was in the bottom 10. Now, to be fair, the Colts defense wasn't exactly stacked with talent that year, or the year before, or just about any of the years, but we'll get to that later. Moving back to the positives, one other positive I see in Pagano is that he's a bit more of a believer in man-to-man coverage than Vic Fangio is. Now, for a lot of teams, like the Colts, if you don't have the personnel to run man-to-man coverage, it's going to get you murdered. But the Bears have that personnel in people like Prince of Mukamura, Kyle Fuller, and Eddie Jackson, because we won't address Adrian Amos until he's a Bear again. I expect more man-to-man coverage, and I think that'll benefit the team, as will the exotic nature that Pagano is known for. While I couldn't find any play examples, because digging through looking for this sort of thing is a lot harder than you'd expect, I was able to just notice that everybody around the league always talks about Pagano and his willingness to think out of the box. I guess if I looked at non-defensive plays, Pagano's, uh, let's call it, willingness to attempt fakes is a good thing. It shows that he's willing to adapt and try new things. While it was a disaster of a play, that special teams play that the Colts ran against the Patriots, you might know it as the one where that one guy lined up behind the center by themselves and snapped the ball for one of the worst plays in NFL history. Pagano was willing to give it a shot. And if you go ahead and listen to Pat McAfee's explanation of what was supposed to happen on that play, it was a much better idea than the product that ended up put out on the field now whether the fact that they misran it is a bad thing is something that I'll leave up to you but I think that Pagano's attitude is a positive he thinks out of the box I think that's what this defense needs especially coming off of Vic Fangio who by the numbers in 2016 blitzed the least out of anybody in the NFL. And this year, he was not a league leader in blitzes. This is with personnel like Roquan Smith, Danny Trevathan, Khalil Mack, obvious, wonderful pass rushers that need to be going after the passer. And Fangio, as I know many of you Bears fans noticed, was known for dropping Floyd and Mack back into coverage. Now, due to the exotic responsibilities that we were just talking about, I actually think that won't go away. Mack dropping into coverage or Floyd dropping back. Heck, even Akeem Hicks rolling over to each edge of the line is something that I would probably expect more than I would doubt it. My research shows that one of Pagano's pinnacle principles is trying to make sure that the offense never really gets a good read on where the pressure is going to be coming from on a play-to-play basis. So, with that in mind, athletic linebackers like Mack and Floyd are inevitably going to drop back into coverage. That doesn't mean that I don't think Pagano is going to bring them more often than not, I think we'll see a whole lot of both Mac and Floyd with their hands in the dirt instead of the common outside linebacker positioning, because that's another thing that Pagano is known to like, but I tend to think that Pagano and Fangio aren't gonna see a ton of drop off. At least that's me being positive. Now let me get negative for a second. So I've said before, certainly a couple of weeks ago on the season wrap-up podcast, that I think defensive regression is inevitable. You see, not only is playing defense hard, but playing defense and staying healthy is even harder. All it takes for an 11-man defense that's elite, like the Bears, is one injury to create an exploitable hole in the wrong position. Do you want an example of this? Take a look at those floaters that Nick Foles was able to throw over the Bears' defense because of their all-pro safety, Eddie Jackson being out of the game in this regard I think that it's going to be tough for the Bears defense to maintain health but hey we could be pleasantly surprised but moving back to Pagano he's now been a head coach or a defensive coordinator in the NFL for seven years and in those seven years he's led more bottom 10 defenses than he did top 10 defenses let me give you the rankings so in points this is starting off with Baltimore's defense and then the six years of the Colts he went 3, 21, 9, 19, 25, 22, and 30. And now let me give you the rank in passing yardage. 4, 21, 13, 12, 24, 27, and 28. Of course, if you take out that three and four with Baltimore, well, Pagano doesn't look like he's a very good defensive person in terms of rankings. But see, that's where I think you've just got to synergize the two a little bit. It's clear to me that Pagano, when paired with elite defensive talent, is a good defensive coordinator. Don't get me wrong, it's kind of hard not to be when you're talking about a qualifier of elite defensive talent, and we don't want to throw out the poor seasons that he had with the Colts defense, but he was also a head coach during that time. He wasn't picking his players, that's the GM, and he had a lot more to do than just coach the defense, and he still coached his team to six playoff games, three of those being wins, so there's got to be somewhere in the middle he could be. Here's what I think we can do to really determine Chuck Pagano's impact on the Bears. We're going to go through that 2011 Baltimore roster one by one and compare them to current Bears corollaries and see how they stack up. So let's start with the left end Corey Redding. Corey Redding for the Baltimore Ravens had four and a half sacks and a fumble return, which I believe matches up really well with Leonard Floyd's four sacks, one interception, and one fumble return. I'm going to give Floyd the slight edge on this due purely to youth. These dudes had almost the same statistical season, each having approximately 12 quarterback hits and approximately 10 tackles for loss. But I think Floyd is the better guy, and Pagano will be able to use him well. Haloti Nada versus Akeem Hicks is the next comparison, and while Nada is a phenomenal player in his own right, I'm going to give Hicks the slight edge. This is not to sound like a Bears homer. Akeem Hicks is just that good. He is that good. I think he's underrated, if anything, by the rest of the league, even some Bears fans, because my goodness, as far as what an interior lineman's supposed to do, I swear he had a season that was similar to Mac. Mack is obviously a bigger impact. He's being paid that huge, huge money for a reason, but I do think Akeem Hicks gives Chuck Pagano a little bit more to work with. Next, we've got a guy named Terrence Cody, who I don't know if you know who he is, because I sure didn't, but in 2011, he had a pretty solid season as a run stuffer, namely gap runs. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds to me like Eddie Goldman. I'm going to call this a wash. After that, we've got the most lopsided comparison that I'm going to throw at you, and that is comparing the 2003 Defensive Player of the Year, Ray Lewis, to Danny Trevathan. Now, maybe you'll get this one, but I think Ray Lewis murders Trevathan, and I'm going to call this a win for the Ravens. After that, we've got Terrell Suggs comparing to Khalil Mack. And while I want to just give this to Mack, I can't. This is a wash. Terrell Suggs was the 2011 Defensive Player of the Year. He was a boss this year, and he actually outperformed Mack to a decent degree. But Mack is the cornerstone of the Bears' defense, and he ate double teams and sometimes triple teams Over and over and over and over. And without going back to watching tape of Suggs, I can't review whether he did the same. I'm going to just keep this one as a wash. Now we've got some big Bears wins. First, we have Ravens linebacker Jarrett Johnson with 40 solo tackles and two and a half sacks being compared to Roquan Smith, who I don't need to discuss his sack numbers, although there were five of them, but he had 89 solo tackles. 89 solo tackles. I'm giving the Bears the edge here. And next up is the most apples and oranges comparison that I have, but it's still a Bears win, and that's linebacker Jameel McLean with 40-ish solo tackles and a sack being compared to Bryce Callahan. I understand that Bryce Callahan is a slot corner, but the game has changed in favor of more wide receivers, so I think comparing that Fourth linebacker to the inside slot corner is about appropriate. Callahan's one of the best at his position while he's healthy, so he gets the edge. Next we've got, now, uh, pro football reference actually splits Ladarius Webb and Kerry Williams into left cornerback and right cornerback, but I just took the better of the two and compared them to the better bear. So we have Ladarius Webb's five interceptions and 20 passes defensed to be compared to pro bowler Kyle Fuller's seven interceptions and 21 passes defensed. Kyle Fuller made 20 less tackles, so I think he played better coverage just looking at the raw stats. I watched him with my eyes, and he absolutely earned his pro bowl. I'm giving him a slight edge, though maybe it's a wash. Next up is a true wash, and that's Kerry Williams with no interceptions, two forced fumbles, and 63 tackles up against Prince Samuka three interceptions two forced fumbles and 57 solo tackles the tackles are basically the same I think it's a wash they had the same forced fumbles the only difference here is the three interceptions but the Bears had an unbelievable turnover luck and I just don't know if that's going to move forward you can give it to the Bears if you want to feel free out there all you listeners but I'm going to wash it because I think that's the right thing to do The next comparison's a weird one, because we have Bernard Pollard with 55 solo tackles being compared to Adrian Amos, who had 59 solo tackles, neither had any interceptions, neither really had sacks to go with it. They basically come across as the same, which is second fiddle to Eddie Jackson and Ed Reed, the last comparison. Now, my heart wants to call this a wash, but I'm going to give the edge to Reed because Ed Reed's amazing. He's a legend for a reason, and he was the Defensive Player of the Year in 2004. I really think Eddie Jackson could get there. Eddie Jackson is phenomenal at what he does, and he has such good instincts that it's impossible to overlook him back there in the defense. But Ed Reed is just too good, too positionally defining for me not to give the edge over the now second year free safety. So, to total it all up, because I don't know if you've been counting, that's five bare wins at their position, Floyd, Hicks, Smith, Callahan, and Fuller, and Three losses positionally, which the winners were Ray Lewis, Reed, and we'll call it Suggs for now. The last three are washes with Cody tying with Eddie Goldman, uh, Kerry Williams tying with Prince of Mukamura, and Bernard Pollard and Adrian Amos basically being the same player. But when you take that back seat and look at this entire picture, what you see is that the 2011 Ravens defense and the 2018 Bears defense, the Bears might actually be Better, statistically speaking. That gives Pagano exactly the tools that he needs to find relatively the same success that he found in 2011, if not exceed those heights. While I don't know for certain whether the defense is going to be able to take a step forward or even maintain their momentum, I do think that Chuck Pagano was the right man to take the reins, and that if the defense regresses, it probably won't be entirely his fault. Considering that he wants a head coaching job relatively soon, I tend to think that Pagano's going to bring absolutely everything that he has to this young Bears team. Ultimately, knowing that our Super Bowl window isn't going to be open forever, I think that Pagano, a man with a lot to gain and a lot to lose if he doesn't perform great this season, is the right hire for this team. Segwaying now to the most important piece of Bears news I could possibly bring you from yesterday, the Chicago Bears will be taking on the Oakland Raiders in London in 2019. Nah, I'm kidding. Mitch Trubisky's in the Pro Bowl, y'all! One happy consequence of the New Orleans Saints getting absolutely screwed, which we'll get to later, is that Jared Goff can't accept his Pro Bowl invitation anymore. This meant that Pro Bowl alternate Mitch Trubisky is now added to the active roster for the NFC, and I could not be any happier. Not only is the Pro Bowl skills competition that, gosh, I can't wait to watch Trubisky in, and I will be writing a WCG wrap-up for that once the game happens, happens on, I think that's Thursday night, but. Mitch Trubisky gets to spend more time around some of the elite of the elite in the Pro Bowl. While the rosters won't include the members of the now Super Bowl-bound New England Patriots and Los Angeles Rams, Trubisky and the rest of his Bears compatriots that made the Pro Bowl will nevertheless get to spend plenty of time with key players from all across the NFL, as, in Trubisky's case, he gets to be honored for what was ultimately an incredible accomplishment for a Bears quarterback. Not only is he the first quarterback over 30 years to make the Pro Bowl but he did a lot in this season with Matt Nagy, performing high above expectations and ultimately putting the Bears in position to win in the last game of their season. I think Trubisky going to the Pro Bowl gets to be a nice silent recognition of what he was able to do and helps the kid build confidence and we could use him getting all the confidence that he can get. You'll see on Windy City plenty of different articles surrounding the ways that quarterbacks are supposed to be able to make a really nice jump from year one to year two in the west coast system and i think trubisky certainly making the pro bowl is going to be ready to step up his play next year i for one am wildly excited about it for those of you who would like to join me in celebrating Trubisky's wonderful season of accomplishment, he's actually going to be participating in the skills competition this Thursday in both the precision passing drill and the wide receiver best hands drill. While we don't yet know who his wide receiver partner is going to be, this, as dumb as it sounds, is going to be a really nice moment where Trubisky has the opportunity to showcase his accuracy and his talent on the national stage. With a whole bunch of people staring at him, this is where Philip Rivers, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, Andy Dalton. Plenty have struggled in terms of throwing accurately, and we get the chance to see whether Trubisky is able to stand up to the challenge. I think it's little competitions and little victories, especially the ones that matter in the NFL circle but might not matter on paper, that are going to help our young, raw, talented quarterback really come into his own. As far as the other guys that made the Pro Bowl for the Bears, I'm hopeful that Tariq Cohen, Eddie Jackson, and Akeem Hicks can get involved somewhere in the skills competition, but heck, man, I don't know where they would go. Akeem Hicks is a nice candidate to make the gauntlet drill, but again, I don't really know where they'll go. I think it's great for the 2017 draft class that we now have three people that have made the Pro Bowl after one highly-ranked NFL executive said that Ryan Pace just got Fired with the 2017 draft. And frankly, I think that the Pro Bowl experience for folks like Kyle Fuller and the rest of them are just going to be nice affirmation that this Bears team is in the right direction. But again, and I will repeat this, I don't think that there's anybody making the Pro Bowl that could possibly be more important than Mitch Trubisky, who after a much maligned season, remember, this is the kid who when he showed up at a Bulls game after being drafted, he got booed. That he gets to step up and acknowledge that he's he's done quite well this year I think this is great experience for the Bears I can't wait for the game I didn't expect to be saying that and I wasn't planning on watching it but now that my quarterback is in the game you better believe my eyes will be on that TV when he's on it I'm excited I hope you are too And with that, we've wrapped up all of our Bears coverage, but don't think we're done yet because we had two fantastic games that I can't wait to go through with y'all. I won't waste too much of your time, but I am happy and ready to give you some of my thoughts because if you weren't watching either of the games this weekend, I feel bad for you. These two championship games provided the drama and the thrill and the offense and the defense, everything that you could ask for, wrapped up in two beautiful competitive packages that had interesting endings, though entirely different in their own right. First, we'll start with the New Orleans Saints, who fell at home to the Los Angeles Rams 26-23. Now, this was a back-and-forth game that I personally didn't get a ton of opportunities to watch in the first half, but I was able to listen on the radio, and the Saints in the first quarter raced out to 13-0 and before they ultimately fell behind and lost that lead. Why did it happen? Well... Here's why. So the Saints shut down Goff and the Rams pretty early in terms of the run. They were able to make Gurley a shell of himself and ultimately force Goff into an early interception, but the Saints stalled in the red zone on their first two drives of the game. They had the opportunity. Had they scored a touchdown on either drive, they would have been up 17 later in the quarter, assuming that the touchdown drive still happens. Heck, if they score both of them, the first quarter ends with the Saints up 21-0, to Considering that the Rams needed absolutely every second left on the clock to come back, it becomes clear that this is another one of those games that goes down in the annals of you've got to score in the red zone and you got to do it with consistency. Now, that said, the only reason that we're talking about that is because of the absolutely ridiculous blown call that happened at the end of the game. Now, I'm of the mind that you can't blame the officiating for many losses, but this was ridiculous. Ridiculous. I mean, seriously, I'm one that you're going to commonly hear if you keep watching this show and I keep producing it like I hope to uh, that isn't going to call a bad call anything more than a bad call and move on but this is insane. It's a playoff game. He hits him way, way early and he hits him hard too. I mean this is as obvious defensive pass interference as you're going to get and it doesn't make me want to call for reviewable DPI or something. I don't know. That'd be ridiculous and if you made DPI reviewable in the last two minutes of a game I think that'd be too arbitrary. I don't know if there's a particularly good solution but goodness There's got to be something. At the very least, fire the officials responsible because that was ridiculous. There has to be some kind of accountability inside of the NFL officiating room or we're never going to get any better than the ridiculous stuff that seems to happen year after year after year after year. I, for one, want to keep watching the NFL, the National Football League, instead of the NFL, the National Flag League. That's really important to me, so we've got to get some consistency going here. I don't know what you've got to do, but NFL, you've got to figure it out, because I think that New Orleans should be in the Super Bowl instead of Los Angeles. I'm still excited Trubisky made the Pro Bowl, but boy, oh boy, I really think the Rams got away with this one. Goff ended up with a solid game in and of himself. I don't know the exact statistics, and Drew Brees and the offense did their best, but I got to credit Goff for making plays down the stretch when he had to. He's still not a quarterback that audibles a ton. He's still not a quarterback that really seems to read defenses particularly well, but he can make throws. Oh yeah, he can make throws. And he can make throws to wide open guys, and the Rams were able to just produce enough, And Greg the Leg Zerloin reminded us all that clutch kicking is critical when he hit a ridiculous 58-yarder with 10 extra yards of room underneath it to send the Rams to the Super Bowl. At the end of the day, officiating aside, the Rams did what they had to do to claw back from that early 13-0 deficit, and that means that they earned something. Again, I think it should be New Orleans, a lot of people do, but some credit to the Rams, they didn't end up winning the game on accident. My biggest takeaway is that the Bears need another kicker, because watching Zerloin finish that game out was a thing of beauty, and I wish that could have been us. Man, I wish that could have been us. But anyways, Rams are going to the Super Bowl. So let's move on to talk about the other game, which in my opinion was an instant classic. You had your pretty standard fair young quarterback going up against Tom Brady matchup, but I'll tell you what. The Patriots nailed this game plan to a T. I mean seriously, they used Gronkowski, they tried to box in Mahomes, they made plays when they needed to. Edelman made critical plays despite critical drops. Chris Hogan caught a one-handed ball that would have been a game-ending interception, and they got help from the Chiefs, don't get me wrong. Defaulers offsides, I'm looking at you, but I'll tell you what, the Patriots are able to do it when nobody else can. I think it's all credit to Bill Belichick. He knows how to shut Down, guys out of absolutely nowhere. There is no reason that this Chiefs team needed to be held scoreless in the first half, especially given that Mahomes and the Chiefs ended up scoring as much as they did in the second half. It is artwork what Bill Belichick is able to do, especially given the talent that he always has on defense to do it with. This guy is the best ever, and I want to hear your argument if you think anybody's better because he's in his now ninth Super Bowl with Brady, and that is just astounding to me. One hidden storyline that I guess it's not that hidden is that Patrick Mahomes really showed up when not a lot of guys seemed to against Brady. When Mahomes and the Chiefs scored, leaving about two minutes and three seconds on the clock, I, like tons of football fans all over America, looked at it, pointed, and said, up there it is. Here come the Patriots. They're going to win. What I didn't see coming was Mahomes with 43-ish seconds and one timeout getting in position to kick the game-tying field goal. That was really, really impressive to me. Mahomes looked another classic Andy Reid finish in the eyes and said, Not today, not today, we're not done yet, and pushed his team back into position. And similar to Trubisky, I think these are the sorts of moments that show a quarterback's true colors, and Mahomes showed his colors are bright ones. Now, then we've got the overtime thing. Now, I'm not as big of a detractor about NFL overtime as some people, because honestly, I find college overtime to be a little bit. Gimmicky. Everything in the NFL when you get to that 25 yard line is Very, very weird. And the entirety of the NFL football game is driving lengths of fields. So I don't see why overtime wouldn't be that way. Now, what I've kind of started to move towards is maybe you let the guys play out the entire 10 minutes and then you just recycle the quarter if they're still tied. Obviously, this could get guys beat to hell uh, when the middle rounds of the playoffs and totally just zap a team's energy going forward. But maybe those are the stakes. Maybe those are what we need to do. I don't claim to have all the answers. I don't know everything. But what I do know is that the Chiefs had every ability to stop the Patriots late in the game and to try and act as if the coin flip determined it is to be a little bit neglectful of the fact that the defensive coordinator for the Chiefs just didn't do a good enough job of stopping Tom Brady regardless of the Patriots regardless of their late game antics it's still football and you still have every ability to stop them as they do to score on you the Patriots earned this one and they're headed to now Brady's ninth Super Bowl in 18 years that's amazing this guy's gonna play till he's 50 you will see this next offseason if I don't pick the Bears to win the Super Bowl I'm gonna pick the Patriots because I'm done picking against them and getting burned for it so with that having been said as much as it pains me to say it, I really think the Patriots are going to win this Super Bowl. If they play like they did against the Chiefs, I don't think the Rams stand a chance, because I think the Chiefs are just a better team than the Rams are. We'll see what McVay has. Maybe he out-Belichick's Belichick. I mean, seriously, this whole, like, McVay, the young stud coach versus Belichick, maybe the greatest ever. I certainly think so. Is a heck of a storyline to follow, but I think ultimately Belichick's going to outdo him, and that we're going to have a sixth Patriot ring, and Tom Brady's going to make another commercial where now he puts a different ring on his other hand and it's just going to be ridiculous. Anyways, that's our show, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to me. I am going to have a WCG piece out after Thursday, so I guess it'll probably be up Friday, maybe late Thursday, regarding how Trubisky does in the Pro Bowl and the skills competition surrounding it. Really excited about that. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at R-S-C-H-M-I-T-Z, This show, as a matter of fact, is actually going to move from its usual Tuesday morning posting slot into more of a Monday morning attitude. My hope is that especially with the new season that will come eventually, that we'll be able to make this kind of a Monday morning Bears wrap-up show, given that they won't play on Monday night more than a couple of times. Maybe I'll do a special Tuesday episode then. I don't know. You tell me what you guys like. You tell me what you guys don't. I'm always ready to listen to y'all's feedback. I love hearing from y'all. I love talking football with y'all. So until next week, this is Robert Schmitz, and thank you so much for bearing with me. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.